Hey guys, just a bit of housekeeping before we get into it. I've added an after show to the podcast. In addition to the usual episodes, which you can access wherever you are listening from right now, I'm going to be offering a companion show called Back Matter on Patreon. Think of it like the green room to the podcast. Each week, I'll offer unedited conversations I have with guests after we stop recording the main show. The conversation continues. It's looser, if you can believe that. There's gossip, confessions, and more. This is exclusive to Patreon. You can access it by going to patreon.com slash gettinglit. Paying $5 gives you access to the full archive of the podcast, the after show Back Matter, as well as the occasional bonus patron-exclusive episode. Remember, that's patreon.com slash gettinglit. See you over there. You know, he's, he's really, uh, he, he's shameless in intellectual argument. He's absolutely without character, a moral foundation, or even intellectual substance. Okay, recording. Um... I'm here at a place called Siglo in Melbourne. Uh, it's very beautiful. Uh, we're, well, I'm not smoking, but it's a place you can smoke and drink. And I'm here with uh, Nicholas Hausdorff. Did I pronounce that properly, Nicholas? Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful. Um, and as, as German as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> and we're talking about uh, Ernst Junger's uh, Oimsvale. Is that good? That's good, yeah. yeah. We, 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 we have to we have to. How do you say... The well, I, the, I've, I've listened to like a couple of podcasts talking about Junger and I think I'm at an advantage because like it sounds like the German way to say it is like how an Aussie would say it. Like yeah. there's not much difference. It's just like Junger. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh, uh, concerning the book, he, uh, he mentions in there that it's pronounced Umsville. Umsville. Yeah, we, 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 and he says uh, he, he pronounces it in a French way, and I think uh, you know I don't want to be nerdy about the pronunciation no, nerdy, of that yeah. novel, but I think it's important because uh, I think he's talking about Europe in that book, you know, and 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 uh, this uh, you know sort of science fiction scenario he lays out is you know very much in the tradition of. Uh, Orwell and others, you know, he's writing about the present. Yeah. He's writing about the present of Europe in the 1970s. A travers, so via the, you know, making some sort of weird fictional scenario with a bit of technology in there and so on, which is... Yeah. Uh, and uh, But I think, yeah, I think this is sort of his give one of his giveaways that he's talking about Europe as a weird mishmash of Interesting. France, Germany, Spain. That's something that I didn't really pick up. But anyway, before we get into that, um, yeah, so we're at this bar. I'm, I've um, met Nicholas for the first time, even though we've been mutuals for a while. Um, it's I've got a few people like that in Melbourne that I just like haven't met up with. I've literally met up with people in like other countries. So like this is good. I like it. And uh, Nicholas has suggested we go to this smoking place one of the one of the few smoking places in um it's, it's, Melbourne. A, it's, it's also a jungarian place yes right? why, why a, would you a, say that it's a, aristocratic a wide tablecloth it's aristocratic we're drinking champagne and uh what's the name of this drink oh uh, it's a cocktail it's called a tiktok drop 
TikTok drop, yeah. you know, a very famous string yeah. that I've never heard of. <laughs> uh, with, and, and, and Kinoto. No, but, but there is also, we have a view here that looks quite, we have a kind of a, a European vista, would you say? Like yeah, we do, yeah. We're looking at uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral and the Victorian Parliament, which is at the Paris, we're at the Paris end of mm. Collins Street. The Paris end, you know, yeah. and uh, since uh, Junger is a, a Parisian and a, and a Francophile, I think it's a it's a good place to meet. It right? is it was, it is a good place to meet. Um, and I, 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 I ordered a, a strawberry for my for my champagne to do you know to. And why did you do a, that? A Jungarian move, you know, because there's this uh, famous anecdote about Junger where he's standing on top of his Paris hotel, which is the. Um, the headquarters of this uh, of, the, of the Germans in Paris. I, I don't know what the, the name of the hotel is. People can look it up. And uh, he's drinking. He's watching uh, the bombing of Paris while contemplating the strawberry and his wine. And uh, I thought, hey, well, I have to somehow emulate this. Um, you know, of, of course, well, we don't have bombs. You know, luckily, we need some bombs. And uh, yeah, this is usually like something you know interpreted by the. You know, the good-thinking academics, like, oh my god, what a horrible man, you know, he's so detached, you know, he's drinking champagne while the city is in flames. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like, I think that's pretty alpha. Well, actually, no, it's not alpha, it's Sigma. It's a Sigma It's move, a Sigma right? male, because his whole thing, the Anarch, the concepts, like... I feel like that's like that's like the Sigma male. Like he is the first, is the like first one to come up with Sigma male. Like yeah. and that's the Anna. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a quiet. Uh, yeah, I, I like that. I, I think he, he he's very contemporary in his uh, personality types. And yeah. he, he anticipates a lot there. But, but by the way, why why this book? Why Umsville? <laughs> Umsville. Um, well, Umsville. I don't know. Umsville. Uh, well, so. I read uh, the essay on pain like years ago and I probably will do an episode on that one day and I thought it was like it actually blew my mind because it was like um, I've never been so moved by an essay and um, one of the reasons why I will do that eventually is I hate how it's misread so like a lot of people think that it's like this glorification of suffering and pain when it's not that. It's more about seeing the transcendental in in pain. I've also heard good things about um, uh, Storm of Seal and a lot of his other work as well. And I like... I chose Umsvel to start with in my... Um, well, I didn't start with that. On the podcast, anyway. Because I feel like... It, I've read that it's like the apotheosis of all of his thinking that it's like it's yeah. his mature thinking and all of it like leads up to that and it's all there um, and and also I like that he randomly just decided at the end of his life to write a science fiction novel and I really like science fiction so I was like give it to me Jung are doing science fiction um, but it's an odd science fiction it is it is so yeah yeah do, 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 do you enjoy his writing? yes it's beautiful at least in the English translation like Obviously, all those caveats and whatever, but um, yeah, yeah, beautiful writing. I love how he. It's obviously so. For listeners, it is. Um, Oimsvale is this uh, dystopian. Well, that's arguable actually, because it's sort of like there's elements of dystopia and utopia, which is weird. 
Um, but it's a science fictional kind of city-state somewhere in North Africa. It's ruled over by this tyrant named the Condor, and the main character's name is uh, Martin Venator. He uh, is a historian by trade, but also randomly is like a barman or something a barman, for, yeah. the, for the Condor. Um, and it's basically uh, from the, the perspective of Martin, who is also named Manuel, because the Condor likes the sound of that better. Um, and it's basically his reflections on uh, lots of different stuff about this world, but about uh, like his political philosophy. And it's basically, he's kind of a stand-in for um, Junger, where yeah, he talks about uh, the, the key concept is this concept of the Anarch, which is very different to the idea of an anarchist, um, which he sort of lays out almost at the beginning, right? Um, but the, 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 it's someone who is like, you know, pragmatic, pragmatic on the surface, but internally is free. Basically, is the the best way I can sum it up. How would you like? How would you sort of describe it? Yeah, I, I, I think you put it you you put it quite nicely. Yeah, he develops this strange uh, persona. Uh, Junger is uh, somehow obsessed with types. Yes, what he calls types. Right, like throughout his work. Uh, he has sort of a, kind of an unusual anthropological bent in his work, right? He's not doing abstract philosophy, you know, where he, he is in conversation with the, you know, sort of the, 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 the German elite yeah. thinkers, which is, Heidegger. Which is, by the way, Heidegger was a real bitch about that as yeah, well. Yeah, he's, he's a like, bitch. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I he's not he's, a philosopher. Yeah. Yeah, he's, a, he's a recognizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a but, noticer, but but in a way, I mean, I, there, there there is something. I, I think there's a there's a strange resentment there, right? Yeah. Because yeah, Junger is not an academically trained philosopher, but he is uh, of course vastly more creative than any of these guys, yeah. right? And he, he is, uh, I mean, this is why he's also a novelist. He's writing very unusual texts, uh, but uh, throughout his life, he's kind of interested in the cyclical. Like for him, life is cyclical. Yeah. History is cyclical, and there is the appearance of different types throughout history. And a couple of writers, for example, Alain de Benoit, uh, the French uh, Nouvelle Droite from the New Right from 1960s, 70s, uh, wrote an essay like precisely about these, the development of the personality types in Junger's work, because it's like a, a thread throughout his work from the soldier. To the worker, which is one of yes. his books, one of his uh, famous books, to the forest rebel, der Waldgang, yeah, uh, to the anarch, and uh, yeah, Junger writes this book in 1977, and yeah, I agree, it's a sort of, it's a, it's a, perhaps it's a completion of its work, but perhaps he's also just sensing what the contemporary, sort of what what humanity can oppose. To oh what my he God. sees, yeah. Uh, I was reading. Emerging. I was reading this the way he talked about the Anarch, and it's like, like, not that I'm claiming to be like some kind of Sigma male or whatever, because I said that before. But, but like, I was just like, oh my God, he's literally me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, because the way he talked about it is sort of the way I've come to like view life now. Is that like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll go along. But the key thing about the Anarch is that he go. He sort of. You know, the society, the political system, whatever, 
you know, sometimes uh, can affect your life, your lifestyle, whatever. You have to deal with it, right? But what he's saying, I think, with this idea of the anarch, and he he very, I think, astutely juxtaposes it with the the idea of anarchism, is that uh, internally you're free. You don't internalize whatever your whatever your system is at the moment. Like so. So he has this sort of grand historical view of things. It's, it's you know. an inverted uh, prince. Yes, yes. The anarch is an inverted prince. So he's uh, he's free. He's sort of <coughs> in a sort of Aiki situation with power. Right? Mm. Sort of, and by Aiki, I mean this idea, you know, from Aikido, where you sort of the, the idea is you move with the with the hits you get. Yes, right. You don't uh, oppose them. You don't sort of block someone's uh, punch, but you kind of move it and divert it. And I think in this way, he's, you know, he's kind of, he's, it's an Aikido of power. And um, it's a kind of a strange and uh, a beautiful idea of the sovereign individual in there that he takes from Max Stirner. Yes. The, the guy who wrote, uh, writes, the, 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 what's it called in English? The ego and it's... In German, it's the, der Einzige und, und sein Eigentum. It's the ego and, it, and its own or something in English. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it is. But it's kind of this idea of radical individualism. But it's not a kind of a... He opposes it with to anarchism, that it's not, a, it's not a posture of resistance. It's a posture of freedom. Yeah. And uh, I think it's very contemporary because what Jünger sees, I think it's uh, important to understand you know when I was saying earlier it's not a science fiction in the in the classical sense it's writing about something very contemporary is writing about 70s Europe yeah which is extinguished it's occupied well, by well, the give Americans us some give us some context for that because I know nothing about 70s Europe so, so. 1970s Europe is basically a, a politically extinguished entity Right, there's France, which is sort of the, uh, an empire in decline, with with a with a bit more freedom than than Germany, right? And he was always more appreciated in France than in, in, in Germany. This is also when uh, the European Union started to sort of come, the, the like Union, germinate. Yeah. Like the European Union starts in the you know it starts in the in the fifties, right? And, and, and uh, Junger is an adv- is one of the early thinkers of the European cause. Yeah. Um, but basically, he's a soldier. I think he's in a situation that I would, I would, I would call epistemic privilege. Like from an early age, he gets a, a, a sort of. Junger is a is a for, for for people who don't know much about him, he's this incredible guy who uh, uh, is born at the very beginning of the 20th century. Saw so the whole century. Yeah. And he's a man of the century. He becomes very very old, and he's a. He's a very brave soldier. As a boy, he runs away to Africa to join the French Foreign Legion yeah. and is caught again by his father. But when World War I breaks out in 1914, he's eagerly moving to the front. And he's kind of this extraordinary fighter who gets wounded 14 times. It's a miracle, more or less, yeah. he doesn't die. And, then, and, and and lived to like 102 or something yes, as well. Yes, he, he like, lived yeah. to, I think, 102, 104, something yeah. like that. And he's, uh, but but he's an extraordinarily brave guy. And at the same time, he writes these war diaries in the trenches, 
with you know extraordinary literary talent and he sort of keeps writing but it puts him in a position after the war where he gets awarded with an order that's called um, I think Kohle Merit or something one of the highest order in the you know in the in the in the in the German Reich he's a sort of a highly decorated man and he's a literary star because the book becomes very famous also kind of appropriated by the state who yeah. you know because you know they want war to be something glorious and in a way he's sort of you know he's an art, sort of a weird autistic guy right like yeah. he's very neutral about it at least right like he's not and maybe he's not necessarily glorifying it but he's also not whining about it yeah, right? yeah. he's not kind of well it's weird because it's writing not, the anti-war novel that becomes it's weird because it's like um, and I can see why he had like he had this weird relationship with the Nazis as well like yeah. that they clearly like respected and honored him but like he was like you're lame <laughs> because he's like they, 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 they want to appropriate him yeah right? they, like, they, he has mainly their connections to the military yeah to the, yeah to the and they, and they sort of what, what's great about him especially with what well, I mean I read this in on pain but I get the sense that this is the fact in um, in uh, Storm of Seal as well is that the reason he's so good of a writer is he doesn't necessarily romanticize war and like and I think like there's a lot of misreadings about that that like you know you, he can conjure up images of like exquisite beauty when he's talking about I don't know fucking shrapnel or something but like he's not romanticizing it like you can tell he has this sort of like um, yeah, this kind of aristocratic, distant view of things, where it's, it's very aesthetic, you know? Whereas I think, one of the reasons why I think he survived World War II is that, essentially, like, people like Hitler misread him. Like, they were like, oh, he's a hero, um, but he's not the same, he wasn't the same as them. Like, he didn't, he didn't glorify and romanticize war. Like he I, talked about it honestly, I have like a, as an artist. I, I, I have a hypothesis. I have a sort of that that uh, a lot of his writing is influenced by a near-death experience. Yes, okay. that he must have had because you know you, he always he floats above things. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like he he can't be touched in a way, um, and I think that's very interesting because it's somebody who's familiar with death and perhaps knows that death is nothing to fear, yeah. right? Which is the experience of a lot of people with near-death experience. They, you know, like describe something beautiful. They, you know, perhaps also have an idea that, they, you know, that this is not the only life. There's more than one life. Yeah. And I think that perhaps this is something that gives him a, a certain security. And at, at least he's not afraid. Yeah. You, you can tell that, but perhaps he's also born this way. I mean, either he's, he's seems extraordinarily adventurous. Yeah. And um, but what happens after the war? I mean, I think he clearly recognizes that this is the death of the hero, right? He's sort of people are locked into systems that you know there's not much heroism to the war. You can storm a trench and you get sort of you know mowed down by a machine gun or a tank. And I mean, what? Yeah, what? What does that do to a man, right? Like, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing, and in, in each case, he becomes sort of a celebrity, uh, perhaps somewhat reluctantly. But you know, he also, he also enjoyed the fame. You can tell in his interviews, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, he, in, in each case, he stays in touch 
with the generality of the German army. So he always knows a bit more. Yeah. You can tell that from his books when he writes his book, The Worker. He uh, writes about... When was that written? Do you remember? Uh, I think it's in the, nine, in the early 1930s. Okay. It's before Hitler. And uh, what he does, it's a sort of national Bolshevik tract, right? And he writes about this sort of this man uh, or class of, you know, some, somehow anticipating what would later perhaps become the manager by James Burnham, right? Like this, uh, you know, the, the technical expert yes. as a type that appears in history. And he, um, you know, talks about things like the German army's quest the German army is always sort of in this geopolitical situation that they don't have the raw materials for their industry. And they, to get their raw materials, they have to trade with other places of the world. And who controls trade? It's the British with their embargo. So the, the German geopolitical situation is to go east, to reach Baku, to reach the oil, what today is Azerbaijan. In each case, to, the, the resources are east. Right, Lebensraum. Yeah, it's later yeah. like this word that you know becomes important for the Nazis. Yeah. Also as a space to live, but it's always sort of overdetermined geopolitically because it's basically the same situation of Germany today. They're a small country that's full of people. There's not a lot of nature. There's not a lot of uh, resources under the ground. There's some coal in the west. You know, there's not a lot. There's no oil. But the, the, the war machine needs all of these resources and for that they need to go east and he knows that. And it's sort of this kind of interesting high-level geopolitical knowledge that you get by talking to generals, by talking to managers and so on. So I think he always knows more than others and that's one of the things, he has no illusions yes. when he writes about the defeated Germany and the defeated Europe. In the 90, from you know, from the 1950s, 60s, 70s, he has no illusions about the geopolitical situation. It's an occupied place. In addition to that, after 1945, Germany is completely defeated. It's fractured. Uh, there's arguably millions of people who die in the years after. Few people know about this. Um, and yeah, the, the, the state is completely sort of the, the, the Germans that are living in the east, what you know, the, the east of, uh, of Germany is becoming Poland. People are uh, being moved to the west, they're, you know, they're sort of ethnically cleansed. My grandfather's family was amongst these people, they lived in what is today uh, the south of uh, Poland, sort of Schlesien, Silesia, I think is uh, the, the English word. And um, so he has, no, he has no illusions about the state of Germany. And Germany is in the situation where it's militarily divided by the big superpowers, by the Soviet Union and by the Americans. And what is there? The Germans prepared a, a resistance network inside Germany for the, for the occupation. So what they do is they uh, hide arms in different places and have networks of old soldiers. And uh, what happens in the 1940s is that the general, uh, uh, one of Hitler's generals, uh, his name is von Gehlen, uh, he makes a deal with the Americans and he gives the command of these so-called stay-behind networks. Right? They, but the Germans call them werewolves. 
right? Like it, the, the, the mythical animal yeah. that by night transforms into a monster, yeah. right? Like interesting, right? Uh, and he gives the command of these uh, weapons, uh, 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 hideouts, and sort of of this military infrastructure to the Americans because they prefer the Americans to occupy it because uh, uh, Russia and the Soviet Union is the big enemy of, yeah, the, yeah. of, the, of the Nazis, right? Obviously, the, the Bolsheviks, like the ideological enemy, and they're also the, the, the one state that they treat appallingly, yeah. right? Like they're, they're killing so many Russians and Poles in the East, they're, they're genuinely afraid of the vengeance, which comes in, you know, one way or the other, like they, they treat each other appallingly, obviously. But they prefer the Americans, and so they give them the, sort of the even these resistance networks of what would later become Ger West Germany's secret service, the BND. They hand it to the Americans, so everything is under control of the Americans. The German military command, NATO command, is uh, is uh, uh, always an American. NATO is uh, first in Paris, then it. They get kicked out by the French and they move to Belgium, where it still is today. Yeah. But it's always an American general that leads NATO. So, sort of, in a way, uh, Europe is still under American uh, occupation oh, to the day. Definitely. <laughs> um, but Militarily. Yeah, yeah. And, but and um, maybe in other ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, that get, that's that's a great overview of like probably how he came to this idea, basically, which is that well, maybe he thought about it beforehand. I don't know, but like the idea that oh. It's just a cycle, like you said. Yeah. One system replaces the other. You're gonna have to deal with it. You can either like resist it and die, <laughs> or like become an anarch. That's sort of like his his view of it, I guess. Is what at least what this book is saying, like that. So this guy. So for context as well, in the story of the book, previously before the um, the Condors, shall we say, benevolent dictatorship. There was a, um, a kind of more collectivist uh, situation. The place was ruled by the tribunes. What's really funny as well in the book is the um, the uh, the interfamily drama about this because yeah. all of his all of his family basically are supporters of the the old guard, which is the tribunes who ruled the, who ruled Einsfeld. Um But he's like. Working. The tribunes are Democrats, so pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas Umsville is a Umsville, yeah, is a is an sort of an enlightened dictatorship. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like it's a soft tyranny. He calls it a tyranny, but he doesn't have a negative preconception of it. You know, he's he also a, doesn't have a positive preconception. It's just sort of like yeah. it's just like, and that's what that's what I like about even even Jung is like, sort of like. Uh, pragmatism comes into like this fanciful like situation it's like well it is what it is it you is know? what it is yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this is what I mean the place yeah. is occupied yes yeah, and yeah. this is this is the metaphor for Europe there's nothing politically possible in that way yes right you have to sort of make with what is there and you know it's not much there's no big political projects right so I think he's also not I'm not sure whether to interpret it as a general political stance, yeah. or rather one stance that is very particular to the time, yeah. right? because he's sort of talking about how in Oemsville, uh, the uh, yeah there is this sort of the imperial ruler, which is the Yellow Chan, 
Yes. <laughs> that comes That's in. That's a nice, nice image. Right? And, 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 and those are the Americans. Yeah. Right? And then, I don't know why he uses the, the yellow chan for the Americans. And maybe there's some, you know, there's some racial critique yeah. in there. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know, but that's speculation. By the way, like I'm speculating a lot here, I'm trying to make it interesting for readers or, or listeners. But uh, yeah, this is speculation. But I, th I think this is what he's getting. Um, I've got some quotes here, like just to because the um, the anarch like concept. It sounds kind of simple, but there's actually a lot more to it. So I'm just going to try and find some quotes. I mean, other sort of similarities are, he's talking about a place where the, the historical substance is used up yeah. and it's kind of, a, you know, it's economically relatively wealthy and people don't care about politics. All of these are kind of prominent critiques at the time of Germany. Uh, oh, really? No, okay. Yeah, there's no, it's a kind of domain of the merchants, you know, there's nobody really who does history anymore. They're kind of, you know, he, he, he writes about... Um, you know, history as a, in German, it's the, the, the word is Querschnittslähmung. Querschnittslähmung. One of those, one of those giant so like German a, compound words. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it, what it basically means is being, um, it's, it's the word for paraplegic, but sort of with the spatial metaphor of the body being dissected, cut oh, in half. Okay, yeah. And it talks about history being cut in half in Ernsville as well. Right, and this is what happens in Germany. You know, people are sort of getting denazified. You know, they're pretending, oh, nothing happened before oh, by 1945. The way, he, like, you know, uh, everything yeah. is fine after, but we're completely different. That's now. what's really funny about like Junger as well. He was, he like refused to do it. He refused to undergo denazification. Yeah, but, but he was not a Nazi. He wasn't. So, no. So it was, and he knew that it was a, a ritual of submission. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he doesn't do it. And you know, fair enough. Yeah, I thought I thought that was like really um, that's an alpha move. That's an, that's a, it's a sigma move. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> even, um, even a sigma move. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm just looking up like quotes. I'm gonna look no up problem. the PDF on my that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I've gotta look up the PDF on my fucking phone. So I've gotta roll down to my highlights. Um, you can also lose the side if you prefer. Oh, when he's talking about like, like not necessarily anarchism as a, like a political philosophy, but the idea of the anarchic, like that was really interesting too. Like um, this like unformalized freedom to be, you know, the sovereign individual. Like, so he says, um, when he's musing on this, he says, quote, everyone is anarchic. This is precisely what is normal about us. Of course, the anarchic is hemmed in from the very first day by father and mother, by state and society. Those are prunings, tappings of the primordial strength, and nobody escapes them. One has to resign oneself. That's an important line, I think. Um, but the anarchic remains at the very bottom, bottom as a mystery, usually unknown even to its bearer. It can erupt from him as lava, can destroy him, liberate him. Distinctions must be drawn here. Love is anarchy, marriage is not. Uh, the warrior is, an is anarchic, the soldier is not. Manslaughter is anarchic, murder is not. Christ is anarchic, Saint Paul is not. And like, so I love what he's getting at there with like, 
yeah, there's this uh, uh, there's this internal freedom, and there's this uh, more externalized anarchic nature, you know, um, which is kind of like the hinge point of the, the novel in a way, I think. It's an, it's an interesting distinction. I mean, you can clearly see, that, but this is very Sterner, right? Like every, for Sterner, every ism, yes, every ism is a, is a defeat in a way. And it's yes. just this, you know, radical, radical egoism. But yeah, I mean, it's also a sign of the times, you know, it's a, perhaps, it has been negatively interpreted as a sort of, it's a resigned Jünger, which I don't know what you think about that. I don't know if he's resigned, you know, but I think he's, he's proposing a personality type. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, but I, I don't know, like, it, it's, it's still, um, I wrote in an essay once of this book I, uh, we edited about Jünger, that this is a, a, a state that is full of these personalities would be a very dangerous and unstable state. So in a way, if you multiply the Einar by a thousand, you know, and, 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 and for him, the, the, the Einar, the important thing is always a martial aspect. Yes. You must yeah. be ready to kill and you must be ready to die. Right? He walks past the bridge and he says, you know, like, he has the reserve to kill himself, right? which I think is interesting. So he's not a coward, it's not just purely conformity and I'm not, you know, whatever, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm really free, but I'm actually a cock, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, of power, you know, I'm not going to do anything. But I don't think Jünger can be accused of that. He is a martial guy and he's not a coward. And I think he's, I think it's one of the paradoxes of his life, right? That he's ready to die, but he, he, he just grows into a Methuselah. Yeah, yeah. He's not, he's not dying ever. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty ironic. Maybe he's still alive, who knows? Yeah, maybe he is shuffling around. Uh, but, yeah, I like that you said resign, because, like, it's weird. I don't, I don't quite know how to put this into words, but it's what he's talking about is a different kind. If you're going to call it resignation, it's a different kind of resignation. So it's like... It's a resignation with the structure of the world. Yes. And it's a resignation yes. with power. Yes. And that's one of the big sort of takeaways, which is very close to neo-reaction, I think. Yeah. That it, power is inevitable. And the way he criticizes his family is they have these illusions about a powerless state where everybody is, yeah, it's a democracy and we can deliberate about it. You know, it's this sort of equality. And for him, equality is something completely different. For him, equality is demoralizing. Yes. Because it's an attack on the noble. It's an attack on the noble and the aristocratic. And therefore, it is not desirable. It's a mechanism of demoralization, of which there are many in Umswil, which is also, a, again, a sort of... Um, can I have another one of these? Can I have another one of these? Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. It's another hint at, at Germany at, of the time. Like, language is being destroyed. Right? Like, and what, how is language being destroyed in Germany? Language becomes a lot... It's similar to here, right? Like, people don't cultivate their language anymore, yeah. right? We talk like California Valley girls, yeah, both yeah. of us, right? It's like, well, like I definitely you know, do. You know, like, that's my... That's <laughs> yeah. a big problem of mine. But, yeah. you know, like, we, we are, you know, we are children of our time. I'm not going to yeah. fight it, you know. I, I, I wish it were different, but it, it isn't, you know. But uh, people don't cultivate their language anymore, and there is a... There is this sort of move in Germany towards a much more 
colloquial language that doesn't celebrate the old authors. It's very modern in that sense, right? Yeah. And modernism, in a way, is a reduction of language in many ways, right? There's, I mean, that, 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 that's not true for all of the modernists, right? You know, modernists with beautiful language, but you can see there is a theme there, right? Like a kind of well, everyday yeah. language, you know, it's not, it's not this Baroque of the 19th century where, you know, you have these beautiful and elaborate tracks. Something completely different, it's short, it's everyday language, right? Like it's yeah. Well, that's what's interesting about this book as well. Like, he is kind of, it is kind of like a throwback to the old, like, well, I think it even is a German invention or it has a German name, which is the Bildungsroman. Like, yeah. like, so it's the novel of development although it's slightly different because it's almost like that's um, a very good that's a very good point he's yeah. like it's a, it's Manuel slash Martin it's not necessarily him going through his development it's him like remembering like his yeah. how he's come to the way he is so like um, yeah so interesting that he throws back to that as well because that's clearly a concern of his and I, I, I like that you brought that up, the yeah. sort of the novel of development, right? yeah. because a lot of it, it's a very meandering novel yeah, with yeah. a very reduced plot, right? Like there's it's literally very, no plot. There's, like there's almost yeah. no plot, it's just musings, yeah, right? Yeah. And you, you sense that he's an old man in a way, in there too, I mean, but a lot of it is also this weird advice, right? It reads like, you know, like a young man can read this yes. and kind of understand the world. There's enormous political wisdom in there. And not only political, he's also this strange guy, right? Like he's a he's a maverick of his age, I think, right? And 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 and, and for people who don't know Jünger, like he's one of the first people who takes LSD yes, with yeah, yeah. Uh, Albert Hoffman, the, the, the Swiss inventor of it. And he is sort of this... You know, that, that there's fruitarianism in there, right? Where he says, oh, yeah, the fruits give you energy and so on, right? Like, so it has this very, you know, what is today the, the, the Twitter sphere <laughs> of the, what I call physionauts, you know? Physionauts, yeah, yeah like you know, As opposed to the psychonauts, yeah, like yeah. The people who explore their body, like, away from modern medicine with, I don't know, diets, you know, like today, I mean, we're, we're, we're more in a phase Slunking of... Slunking eggs yeah, and, like, bodybuilding and We're stuff. more in a trend of hypertrophic eating, right? Like, you know, uh, dense nutrition. But there is, of course, also the other, like, the fasting stuff, and which is more of his thing. He doesn't eat a lot, and he eats, uh, you know, very little fruit and nuts and so on. And, I mean, he becomes really old, I mean, so maybe there's something... Maybe there's something to explore there, yeah. you know, like, so, um, I, I don't want to make a definite judgment yeah. on that, uh, you know, but I think Any physionauts listening right now, you need to get into Junger. He'll give, you some, he'll give you some great diet advice. Maybe, but in a way, you know, he's, he's, he's doing very kind of classical, uh, you know, German, German medicine of the early 20th century is very interesting, you know, you have the... You have Steiner, you have these people at Kneipe, you know, ice baths, you know, Wim Hof, you would say today. Like, there's, everything is in there already, you know, like a very, uh, a medicine that understands the body in a systemic way. Yeah. You know, and that only really becomes kind of destroyed with the modern pharmaceutical industry and sort of the Rockefeller medicine men, you know, the, the, the American medicine making its way into Germany. You know, there's this good, great book that's called by E. Richard Brown, Rockefeller Medicine Man. I can I can recommend it. About the history of modern medicine, it's beautiful. But there is really interesting German medical traditions. And uh, Jünger is like one of the anons on 
on Twitter who's just <laughs> experimenting. And I really think he's very contemporary in that. He's also a prepper. Yes. Right? Like he's yeah. building a bunker in this book. Right? Like let's not let's not forget, right? Like and it's the same in this uh, the forest passage. You know, in a way, he's just he's a he's preparing for partisan warfare because I think as a soldier, he's very aware of that he's living in a in an occupied country. <laughs> I'm sure he has contacts with these stay behind networks and so on. He will know all of this. And yeah, he has a he has an enormous uh, political culture. Yeah, he's a, he's epistemically privileged, I'd say. I love that. So, yeah, you mentioned the forest pa passage and I'm glad you did because I heard that it is actually recommended to read that before Unsvel. Yeah. Um, uh, have you read the Forest Passage? I've read I've read parts of it. Why know? do you think people recommend that? Is it just that because he's it's developing one of, one of, one of the one of the per, one of the types he develops in his okay. in his work, and it's very similar. He also references the book in Olmsville, and um, yeah, I mean the, the the Forest Passage refers to an ancient Icelandic tradition where a man goes into the forest for a year and survives. Right, and that changes him. And uh, yeah, he's but you again, know, that's he, very Twitter and on. Like it sounds like something but he's someone also would like, like he, recommend. He's yeah, he, he's you know somebody who recommends kind of tactics of very modern warfare. Um, you know, retreat to the forest and learn how to fight. Essentially, right, make do. And that's uh, you know, Carl Schmidt is also like dealing with the partisan at this yeah. point. They're very aware of what's going on, right? Like there, there is this idea. They don't know what's going on. They can't foresee 50 years of stability that are coming, right? Like they don't know is the Soviet invasion coming? Are the Americans going to turn radically against them and so on? Like it's a, it's a. Re I think it's a real sort of intellectual problem for them that they, as soldiers, are very aware of, right? Yeah. And this is they, they're thinking these things, right? And so. You know, perhaps a, a beautiful scoop. I never saw anyone talking about that because Jünger is known as an entomologist. Yeah, right? yeah. so that means he's a, guy. he's, he's yeah. collecting bugs, yeah. right? And I always thought I was always a bit weirded out by that, right? Like he's like, oh, what is this? Like it's, it's it's kind of a nerdy hobby, but I respected it. You know, it's kind of intellectual. And in Umsville, he gives away why that is because he's describing himself as an ornithologist. And his ornithology is a cover story for him to build a bunker. He goes out and because he can't get the supplies for a whole year, he smuggles out stuff under the cover of being an ornithologist and observing birds, which I think is very interesting. But then he also observes birds, like he's very good at it. Yeah, like he, throughout, throughout the whole but, novel but, he's but talking he about to. birds. Yeah, he yeah, has yeah, to, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it, but I think it becomes a it becomes a, a hobby of his, but that but the, the hobby is not because he's so interested in it. He has to be interested because he's developing this cover story. And when he's in Paris, he's um, he's uh, 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 ordering uh, entomology uh, uh, scientific literature because he knows that his that his uh, 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 um, mail is being read yeah. by the Germans. And there's re this really interesting uh, passage in his, I looked it up in his uh, war diaries in Paris, where 
at the day of the Stauffenberg plot, where they, you know, the Stauffenberg plot is, is where they try to assassinate Hitler. Yeah, the, the movie, the American movie Valkyrie is yeah. based on it. But also, wasn't he tangentially involved with that or something? He was involved yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah. He was involved in it, and uh, it's described in the book that on that day of the plot, he's going out to to look at butterflies. And it has been interpreted as a sort of, oh yeah, he's just autistic <laughs> or afraid or something. And But in Ulmsville, he describes that this is so he can go into his bunker. He prepared a bunker in Paris. Like, yeah. I guarantee that. And I, I think it would be interesting. I'm sure uh, there, there would be an interesting sort of endeavor for researchers to find uh, Junger's, Junger's bunkers. Bunker. Yeah. You know, because he, tells, he says in this book, that he t told nobody about these bunkers, not even his wife. She didn't know where they are. He told nobody about these bunkers, but he, he says in the book, this is why I became an ornithologist. And he said, he's something like, there's a passage where he says, yeah, this sucker who is so happy that I named these birds and he didn't know what I was that is doing. Such, I love that. That is such like a romantic idea for a film or something, like um, finding Jung's bunker. <laughs> It's interesting, but he's a, he's a fundamentally martial guy, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's, he knows that he's under heavy surveillance, and in this day and age, you need a cover story. Right? But, that, but that, that, like, you know, the entomologist, the ornithologist, like, like, layers perfectly with his idea of, like, the anarch, right? That, like, outwardly, outwardly, he is functioning as he should in society, but he's ready to do what needs to be done yeah. at any moment, you know? And, and I mean, in this book, he's also, he's a weird, I mean, let's not, he's not a harmless guy. He's a secret service agent. Yeah. He spikes the drinks with drugs. He knows about drugs, right? He gets the information from the highest levels of power. He listens in on the conversation, right, like all the time. And yeah, he prepares this sort of net, you know, he's like a resistance fighter. Yeah. And he's uh, actively contemplating killing people. And it's also interesting because when, uh, at a certain point, because Junger was a, are we recording? Yeah, it's still on. I just, I just double check on it. Uh, better, right? Yeah, it would, would be a pity. Um, he's a very respected guy, mainly by the French, right? He, he respects as well. He moves into the French occupation sector to be closer to to Paris, right? Because he, he engages with the people. He has a lot of friends there. He's highly respected there. Far more respected than in Germany. For the Germans, he's like this icky guy, right? Like he has a circle of admirers, but he's not really, people don't like him. He's problematic to the young republic. Is it, is it like the Nazi stuff? Like, because yeah, of his, no, but also because his he, like closeness to some people. He's the bridge like, to the Germany of before. Yeah, okay. And yeah. The, the, the new republic invents itself as this radically different modern Germany, you know, that has nothing to do whatsoever with the Germany of before. Everything before was horrible, you know, and we really only started living in 1945 when we were liberated, right? Yeah. Like, that's, that's a common uh, uh, German trope that persists to that day, which is the reason why Jünger is still still like I tried to do something with the Goethe Institute about Jünger and they said no 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 we, no we can't. yeah because he's icky like in a weird way uh, people are very interested when they think about German culture they love to hear about Jünger but uh, 
the German Cultural Institute, you know. I mean, their branding is just, it's just all terrible, is you it, know. It's but, just but, like But why is gross. it icky? Is it, is it like the historical position? Is it like his particular, like, views on things? Yes. Or, because, like, I would imagine that he's a warrior and he's not, a, he's not at home in the German Republic. But, but that, it's so funny to me that, like, the institute is named after Goethe, who probably has very similar views. <laughs> Because yeah, he's from he's, like the 18th century, but or he's far like enough away, you yeah. know, to not. He's like Junger is like not. not he's the part of the con conservative revolutionaries. Yeah, yeah. He's part of the ob new objectivity. He's a controversial figure. Yeah, right. And 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 he's not at home in the German, you know, new German republic. But then, but then does, that makes me think: Does that just mean that it's a time thing? That like in a hundred years, maybe they'll consider like some work on Junger. <laughs> No, I think it's really, I think it's really important. I think I like, like one of my, I find it one of my missions to, like, I like Germany as a, you know, as a continuous story, yeah, right? Because Germany is more than what whatever happens after '45, and I think that we're in a, we're in a beautiful movement of sort of internet-based revisionism, right? I call that where people dig up interesting aspects of history, yeah, and I and I think you know that one of the struggles in German academia was to to demonstrate that Germans are not this this anti-people, <laughs> you know, like we're, we're as bad as everyone else, yeah, I would yeah. say, you know, like at least that's my position, you know, like, it doesn't mean I, that, it doesn't mean I don't, I glorify, you know, the Germans in their history, yeah, of course, they've done terrible things, but so has everybody but else, yeah. right, and I, I mean, a lot of people would, that would be a very difficult thing to say in Germany, you know, like, but, you know, that's not a, not a, not a view that's, uh, you know, there's really, uh, the, the German writer uh, Ziefele, there was this uh, interesting book that came out in 2016, it was the essay collection of a guy that killed himself, and he wrote about this precisely, that, you know, that's uh, the, the problem of the Germans is that they were created as this anti-people, right, like the, the bad guys in history, you know, the, with the German, with the American propaganda, Soviet propaganda, it was a sort of consensus that the Germans are you know, somehow metaphysically evil, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like to believe that. I think, I think we are, uh, you know, well organized and extraordinarily naive people. You know, like I think, and, and even even I am naive, and my my intellectual trajectory is uh, is uh, sort of investigating cynicisms. <laughs> right? Like this is why I'm fascinated in that. Right? But it's but it's not because I I genuinely am not so inclined. You know, but that, that doesn't mean that you know there's there's been German monsters. Um, Nicholas just got served champagne with a straw. Why? I removed a straw. Why did you get a straw though? It's champagne. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they they, they, they they saw me as a flamboyant character that I am. <laughs> Yeah, so no, he's a, he's to this day a very uh, controversial figure, right? That's, and so yeah, that's really interesting. stay away from him. But there is Jünger scholarship in Germany as well. But it's you know it's kind of touched at a it's at a distance, and it's uh, it's nothing the Goethe Institute would be too too happy with. What is the Goethe Institute? What do they what do they do then? If it's not Jünger, the what German are they Cultural like? Institute. They want Germany as a modern kind of refugees welcome. Yeah. You know, like them, it's a modern state. 
we're so open. Oh so my god, we're so open. We're Germans, Germans are not open at all. It's so ridiculous. they're not looking at anything like what? Pre 1980 or something like that. Like it's they do in a way. No, they do the they, you know everything that's modern after 1945 is good. Yeah, right wing is bad, 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 bad. Yeah. You know, terrible. And then you know, like yeah, like 1920s. Depending on the resistance posture, is good as well. You know, like the German modernism is. You know, they're happy with that. Bauhaus, they're very happy with it. So everything that's modern, yeah. but you know, like they wouldn't touch Speer or Breaker, you know, like the kind of the Nazi, the Nazi artists who are, you know, like, there's this great uh, documentary by Lutz Strambeck, who's an artist friend of mine from Hamburg, who investigates when the, when the, the artists, which were, they had great talent, the Nazi artists, but at a certain point, which I agree, like, uh, you know, becomes monstrous. When it becomes in the service of the state, yes, and you know, becomes all another thing that Junger talks about, yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it becomes gross, right? And it, this is also Junger's beef with the Nazis, right? Yeah. He, he basically thinks they're peasants, yeah, you know, he thinks they're a know, rabble, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're yeah. just because, yeah, I, I got the sense that he viewed them sort of like the Bolsheviks, basically, um, but just like a more right wing form, I guess, but like he, um. He, yeah, he talks about that as well, like artists, not just artists, but like historians, professors and stuff like that in service to ideology and what makes it, what, what makes it monstrous, as you said, isn't necessarily that they're serving ideology, it's that they become technicians rather than artists or like thinkers or whatever. And that's just like, it just becomes like this mechanistic, like production of, of culture rather than like an individual expressing their will sort of thing. No, absolutely. And I think the, the sort of the academics in this novel are also key. That's another, you know, wild hypothesis of mine here. You what, know? How, what's that? that? Who, who do these like weird academics stand for? Like there's one that's called Vigo. And Vigo is a is a historical revisionist. Yeah. Right? But and he's like, a, he's like a, I think he's like a stand-in for Vico though, who I think Junger was very uh, influenced by. He is in a way, but he's yeah. also a contemporary, and he's a. Uh, uh, I, I think he's hinting at, and that's a, that's a perhaps a bit, you know, perhaps it's too far, but I, yeah. I think he is hinting at the revisionists in France that he must know of, yeah. because he's involved in the in the French political scene, and there is uh, Maurice Pardèche, uh, Nuremberg, La Terre Promise, and Nuremberg are the Promised Land where he criticizes the Nuremberg trials, sort of where the Germans are judged without evidence. Yeah. Evidence is not a criterion. Um, there's Paul Razinier, who's a socialist, himself an inmate of one of the camps. And he says, like, uh, there, you know, that maybe those camps weren't, you know, like that. But it's, it's revisionism, and there is, um, there is, of course, um, uh, uh, well, well, What's his name? The 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 the, 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 the 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 great revisionist defended by Noam Chomsky at the oh, time. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I forget his name though. Yeah, it's, 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 um, Robert Forisson. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and I think he's the one, talking. That's, the one that's like the Holocaust didn't happen or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, Noam Chomsky left like arch leftist was like no he should speak like that was back when leftists actually believed in free speech but anyway we won't go the, 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 this is a this is a very difficult topic obviously but 
just to 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 breach it in a sort of neutral way at the time and until the 80s and 90s and 2000s I know that from uh, French intellectuals who are talking about it revisionism was very big in Paris oh yeah so people who are big TV stars Jan Moix for example who is still on French television like one of the talking heads was a big revisionist and Thierry Ardisson was a big revisionist and uh, so this is a thing that's talked about in France and I think he knows about it interesting is a guy called Bruno and Bruno is has been to the catacombs right like and what does he mean by the catacombs well my hypothesis is that he's talking about DARPA in the US he's talking about the secret American technology that is developed in the United States sort of by NASA by DARPA by the military you know that they don't really come out with but he talks about the catacombs of the place where nuclear technology where the atom is split yeah right so I think this is a clear reference to the Americans who have all sorts of technology that we don't even know about and yeah, today. Some, some of the technology and as well like I mean it's not the novel itself is not like it's not like hard science fiction like it's not going into like yeah. great sort of yeah. technical detail but there are some things that are like Clearly, he's very creatively thought about and extrapolated from stuff that he he's... Has, exactly, yeah. but, but he has extrapolated. He's not that creative, right? Like, he's, I think, looking at science fiction that exists. He talks about chess computers, artificial intelligence. Yeah. And he extrapolates that the Luminar, he's like... The Luminar, yeah, yeah. He's this weird guy who sits uh, like, a, like, a, like an internet guy. And he's like, uh, has this technical machine that allows him to explore history sort of like an artificial intelligence where he says okay at a certain point they're gonna make it so the people will talk to each other right and he extrapolates that which I think is classic science fiction from that time yeah 1970s building artificial intelligence and they could sort of conceptually anticipate yeah, yeah, yeah. And what that, the chess computer is gonna be yeah right? that's very much and what like the internet's gonna be because the internet exists at that point right? yeah yeah DARPA ARPA exists yeah and that comes to um, very interesting. I couldn't actually visualize this because I wasn't. Maybe it's something to do with the translation, but the phonophore. Yeah, the phone like, it's like a mobile phone. It's, it is. It's like an iPhone. That's what. But I, I, I was wondering whether I was just reading that because, like, while I was reading it, my iPhone was beside me. You know, like. No, so, no, no, it yeah. is that, and apparently, like in his novel Heliopolis, which I haven't read, uh, he says it's a phone. Right, so. It's clearly a phone. They're walking around with mobile phones, and also you get that is hierarchical too in this yeah. in this city state. Like, I think he got the special one because he worked at the yeah, Casbah. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. By the way, it's the same thing. Right? Yeah. By the way, the Condor, the Condor like lives in a place called the Casbah, like, yeah. which is like on the top of a hill, um, which I think is very funny. And I probably for the outro song, I'll probably do "Rock the Casbah." So. Yeah, <laughs> but um, and the Casper is like a Moroccan castle. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or a Mo 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 Mauritanian. I think Moroccan, maybe North African in general. But um, but yeah, like uh, where was he going with that? Oh yeah, yeah. Like so, he as like the uh the porter, the night porter, or whatever the fuck his yeah. job is, he gets a special one yeah. with a like silver stripe. Whereas like. You get shitty ones if you're like lower down the totem pole, or, or you don't get one at all. So that's interesting. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, he's uh, it's also interesting. He's he's uh, 
he's he's talking about this Umsville uh, is place where he says it. I don't know if it's the Atlantic coast or the Mediterranean coast. To me, that describes France. Right? Like that's France, and I think he he has this weird notion in German. It's, he says Felachisierung, Felachisation, and the fella is a is a North African peasant. Okay. Right. So he says like this is the post historical aspect of this place right and I think he's clearly referencing the North African uh, immigration in France and the Turkic immigration in Germany right which is at the time is massive and he says you know it's like fellaization is this sort of second orientalist borderline racist you know you would say today notion that um, yeah you know like the you know there's a cultural decline it comes from this Germanic imaginary of the 20th century where the Ottoman Empire stood for decline. Yeah. Right? Like, the, you know, they're, they're, it's going down and it's because it's full of these peasants now and, you know, that's the post-history. You know, this is the... And, and yeah, I mean, the, the post-history is another one of those themes in there. Right? Like, it's the... History is over for this place, right? Yes. They have nothing... They, they are not making history. Right? History is made somewhere else. It's made in the, the core of the empire. Yeah. There's nothing we can do, essentially, right? And he also has this um, have this other hypothesis, which I think is interesting, that Umswil is like one of the first parapolitical novels. Okay. And what do I mean by parapolitics? Yeah. Parapolitics is this uh, notion that was, I think, coined by this academic called Peter Dale Scott, who's a former Canadian diplomat and who coined, who sort of brought the, the notion of the deep state into academia. And the deep state comes from this Turkish uh, uh, incident where there was a car crash and in the car they found members of the government, members of the mafia, and members of the secret services. Oh wow. Right, and they call it Devin De Derin Devlet, the deep state, it's a Turkish, Turkish word and basically what it means is it's the, the reality of power power co collaborates with mafias power collaborates with the secret services it's organized in this way and in Umswil you'll find sort of tolerated drug use right and why do they have tolerated drug use and tolerated pedophilia it's so they can collect dirt on people they tolerate it. Ooh, sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds Epstein, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's very contemporary yeah, in yeah. that sense as well, right? So it's a very early parapolitical novel. And uh, this is the time where, uh, you know, Alfred McCoy wrote this book in 1973. It's called The Politics of Heroin in Southeast Asia, about the Americans smuggling via the French connection in Marseille, which is the Corsican, Kors I don't know, Corsican. Mafia, they smuggle heroin from Southeast Asia via France into the United States. And this academic writes a book about this. And they do that to finance a regular warfare. And I think he knows about that. Because wasn't there like, didn't Afghanistan have like a heroin trade going on there? Like there's a, the big thing about Afghanistan. It moves to Afghanistan from the Golden Triangle trade, which is in Thailand and Burma yeah. in uh, you know Cambodia and the, 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 the Americans use it 
to get illicit funds for warfare, yeah. right, to fight their war in Cambodia, which is not officially declared a part of the war. So they need to finance things away from Congress, right? And so they start shipping heroin into the United States. And Alfred McCoy writes this great book about it in 1973, which is, becomes very controversial. Uh, but, you know, in a way, I think the Secret Services knows, know about it. And I think Junger knows about it, right? And Junger also writes about the false flag operations, right? He knows that, which is like a, a common theme in a way, the Reichstags, uh, they, they burn the Reichstag, the Nazis burn the Reichstag, and they blame it on the communists, right? And he says, the best way to discredit the opposition is to blame a terrorist attack on them, right? And so he, he notices that as well. So it's a, in a way you have all these, you know, that I call parapolitical themes in there, which I think is very contemporary as well, because, yeah. you know, this is what everybody's talking about today. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you, I, I, but the thing that, the one thing that struck me reading this book was just how, like, a lot of people say this about a lot of books that are older, but, like, this is an extremely relevant book. Like, I particularly, think so too, yeah. particularly part, like, post, post-COVID stuff as well. Like, yes. Yes. You know, like, uh, you know, just keeping your head down, going along, but like actually thinking all of this stuff is bullshit. I know so many people like that. Like that kind of like, it's the same sort of. But vibe. also prepare. But also prepare. But also prepare and don't be a sucker. Don't be. Yeah. Don't be harmless. Yeah, right? like yeah. Younger's not a harmless guy. He's not like Heidegger. Yeah. He's not an academic. Yeah. He's a man who knows how to kill. Yeah. Right. And uh, I think that's that's just very very interesting. Right? Like I mean extrapolate that you know, you're free in this world which I think is beautiful like uh, uh, you know you, 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 if you know how to kill yeah. <laughs> yeah but also like I find um, I found and it if very you know how to die yeah, don't yeah. be afraid of death I think yeah yeah it's one of those books that yeah just makes you makes you feel like uh, it is very like a there's a lot of wisdom here. And this, like, how old? He would have been, like, what? In his 70s, 80s? I think so, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know it's exactly a very, very wise book. Like, there's a lot of wisdom in it. I agree, um, and I like that what you mentioned, the, it's the education of it. Yes. Right? Like, yes. It's, it's for people to... Which is, a, that's a German tradition, you know, like, and, and this guy, he knows everything. He's, a, he's, a, he's seen everything. And he's giving a... He's giving away, he's like, a, you know, develop a posture of resistance yes. and this is how you do it. Don't he's, be a child, don't yes. be an adult. He has literally seen everything. Like, yeah. he literally saw the entire 20th century. Like, yeah. he was two years off getting into the millennium. Like, he died, I think he died in 98. So, like... And he's in touch with power, you know, like, the, yes. the French president and the German chancellor come to visit him together as a gesture of a united Europe, right? Yes. Like as a geopolitical proposition. Because Jünger is the geopolitical proposition of an independent Europe, right? From when he writes that, uh, the, the essay, The Peace in 1943, I think. And yeah, and I mean, the interesting thing is he shows the German culture, the, the chancellor, he shows them his bugs, which I think means Look, I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm someone who kills tyrants. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a beautiful gesture. Yeah. Like, uh, 
and, and Cole doesn't have the culture to understand it, I think. He doesn't understand. Mitterrand is a really well-read guy. The French oh, yeah, president he, of the he time. He loved Junger too. He apparently. loved Junger, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and the, yeah, the French give him a lot of prestige, yeah. And he was always a Francophile, and he, uh, he greatly respects the French because there's a more. There's not this historical rupture in France, right? The French collaborate. There is a theory that uh, de Gaulle was uh, sort of the, one of the protégés of the of the um, of the of the uh, uh, French tyrant during World War II, uh, General Pétain, right? And there's a theory that they never actually had a had a spat. They strategically one is collaborating with the Germans, and De Gaulle moves to England in case the British win, right? Like, and and you know he's always. De Gaulle was fiercely independent, right? Like he kicks out NATO out of France, and he's always, you know, like making a sort of a proposition of an independent France, of an independent Europe, and this is why he becomes this sort of. This is why Junger becomes this sort of, I think, proponent of an independent Europe, and I think this is, uh, you know, the sort of, yeah, the, the, the Germany was always, the, or Europe was always, always divided between its transatlantic allegiance, NATO, the Yellow Chan. And you know the proposition of doing something independently, and they, well, they when can't say, get it done. When you say like I don't know about much about this, obviously, but like when you say independent Europe, what does that mean for Junger? Does that mean like some sort of like union, or like does that mean I like think so? Individual? Yeah, I think so. He's a he's a European. Yeah, like by heart, he loves the French. Uh, he has a respect for the European cultures. And uh, uh, Charles de Gaulle, the French president of the. Uh, Fifth Republic. He's in power for a long time, right? Like he's sort of like a benign dictator as well, right? Yeah. And he proposes a Europe from Brest, which is France at the Atlantic coast, to Vladivostok, <laughs> the east of Russia. Yeah. So radically That's different. That's on the Pacific, isn't it? Like, radically different proposition yeah, from yeah. the Americans, right? So he, he, they have something completely different in mind. And uh, well, you know, you know, you know, what's the I, I like. From what I've, what what I've gleaned from like family in Italy and stuff like that, um, I don't know. From what they've told me, I'm a little bit EU skeptic. <laughs> yeah, it's a monster. Yeah, but because it's like, what it ended up being was like, um, you know, France and Germany are, are fine, but like every other country is sort of fucked over by that situation. It's very difficult, right? Because they, you, you have to choose your allegiance in Europe, you're either with the Americans, yeah, you know, you, you, you have to be with a bigger power. Yeah. Like, you, yeah. you can't you can't fight your way It's alone. the same in Australia. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. The, the Australians are not geopolitical. They're not a sovereign country. They have to choose between the Americans and the Chinese. That's the proposition. And they're choosing the Americans. Yeah. <laughs> For historical reasons, yeah. right? And, you know, and maybe that's the, you know, I, I would say it's probably the correct choice. You know, without saying like I don't, you know, the Americans very ambiguous situation and. You know, well, we both speak English. We both well, speak we, English. we both speak a perverted form of English. And so. uh, you know, I, I always love the Americans as well. I don't like, I don't love the American government. You know, I yeah, think yeah. they're very detrimental. But I love the American spirit of pragmatism, of freedom, of optimism. Yeah, I, I really like that. Like, and I always respect that. Like, I'm a, I'm a depressed German. 
you know I'm not a, I'm not like living that. in Australia yeah but you uh, that's what I love about Australia as well is an optimistic country yeah my friend David said that to me you know like uh, you know David uh, Moran said okay you're uh, uh, this we're an optimistic country you know and I, I really like that I, I totally agree with that I love Melbourne because it's a friendly city it's ridiculously friendly so friendly I, I love that like yeah, actually it's grim actually it's kind of annoying how friendly it is sometimes have you ever had the thing when you're like this is we're getting into like deep Melbourne law here but like when you're crossing the road and like well you're about to like step up to cross the road yeah but you're like you're too far away from the road Drivers will slow down. Like they'll see, you'll be like way far away from it's, crossing it's, the road. It's not a city. It's not a monster. Yeah, metropolis. and they'll slow down. Like, yeah. and you, you like, so then you have to speed up to cross the road because like they just didn't go past. Like, it's really fucking annoying. Look, like, before, but it's but it's before, like, before this it I comes lived, from kindness. You no, know, they're, yeah. they're, they're kind people. And before this, I lived in Berlin, right? And in Berlin, you look people in the eye, and you're you're slightly menacing. You have to be, you know, <laughs> else you're not going to get served at a cafe, you know, like you have to, same in Paris, right? It's unfriendly, you have to be a bit menacing and serious and brooding, right? I don't like that, you know, like, and when the first time I came to Melbourne, I was treated so kindly by the waiters and they're like, how are you doing? And I was like, oh yeah, great, you know, like telling them about my life, not understanding that it's just a phrase, you know, but I still there's, love the, there's I, a, love, I love superficiality. There's a, yeah, there's a, there's a downside to that though and like you're probably very well aware of that is that like because of that because people are so easygoing they just go along with fucking everything because it's easy to go along with things and and they're very British in that they don't say what they think yeah nobody ever says what they think and I like that as well during COVID I was never I was always wearing my mask on my chin right like throughout and, and COVID, like in Melbourne, Melbourne was a COVID dictatorship. Let's yeah. keep it real. It was yeah. like horrible. It was fucking terrible. Facts, facts. And uh, in Germany, people would yell at you for that. They're like, and it's too, it's too annoying to not wear the mask. Then, right? It gets very difficult. It means you have to be ready for confrontation all the time. In Melbourne, they're like grumbling, like, ah, I don't like that. But they wouldn't say anything. They're too polite for that. And so you can, I think you can find a sweet spot of that. Well, here's a story. I. I think I've, I've I think I've told this story on another pod, podcast, but I was out walking like because I never wore a mask outside. Like I was yeah. like, that's just ridiculous. I love it, man. Like good for you. Yeah, yeah. That's just ridiculous. And so I would go, I would do my walk. I would listen to my um, podcasts um, while I was on my walk around my streets uh, in the north of Melbourne. And randomly, that one 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 day. This woman in a mask, of course, walking her dog, like comes right up into my face <laughs> and is like, like staring at me, like trying to stare me down, being like, she didn't say anything, but it was like, where is your mask? It, it was, that was the implication. And I was like, bitch, first of all, you are now nose to nose with me. So if like, if it's a problem, you're like, you're part of the problem. <laughs> You're protected. Yeah, because no, but because you came straight up into my face. But like, just, just the kind of the sh- the sheer gall of that as well, like getting into my personal space. But also, I got I'm, yelled at once. I'm not. I'm not. A lady with a dog. I'm not a very tall man, yeah. but like, 
that just the the, the, the the thing that the way that like she felt empowered to do that yeah it's yeah, just yeah. bizarre like it what if I was a monitor, what if I was a psycho I could have fucking choked you out like what like it's so weird no mate it empowered the hall monitor yes you know, like, yes, empowered, yes. Uh, you know this kind of personality where people can like oh now I'm gonna give it to people yeah yeah and I made I made this attempt to like walk around her because we were crossing the road like so I was like sort of avoiding her because I saw she had a mask on so clearly she was sensitive about it so I was like but she like full on came into my space even though I was avoiding her it's like crazy shit like anyway <laughs> to, to, to get back to yeah, yoga, yeah, once yeah. more right? like the last thing I, I'd like to talk about is the forest what does the forest mean well what do you think the forest means he says it. The forest is pharmaceutical technology and genetic technology. Let's fucking go. Right? <laughs> and it makes sense because a lot of the pharmaceutical industry goes to the, goes to the rainforests and collects uh, genetic material. They collect plants in order, of course, to patent them, to slightly modify them and patent them. It's known that they go to the Brazilian rainforest, to the rainforest in the Congo and so on and in that in the novel it's a theme right like it's with the catacombs one of the themes of high technology and you know people have been to the forests right and in the end they go to the forests right which I found really interesting and I was wondering is, it, is that like a, a choice of the European industry to invest in pharmaceutical technology because they are not you know they are kind of they're not doing the uh, nuclear technology that much. He sees it as, as this weird corridor, right? Like a freedom of, you know, which has something then again as well, you know, perhaps to do with transhumanism, right? Like, I, I, I thought it was really interesting. In the end, uh, Manuel Venator goes to the forest, right? They go on an expedition to the forest and they don't, they, they don't come back, right? Well, interesting about the end like um, I think like, yeah I'm full I'm fully on the same page with you about the forest but the epilogue is very interesting too yeah so we have to talk about that um, so basically at the end of the novel his brother Cadmo is that his name I think it's his name I don't, I don't remember yeah, yeah uh, there's a narrative that basically he comes into the narrative and says that basically what, what we've read so far, he's got it and he's sealing it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you think that, what do you think that he's sort of saying there? Like, because it's almost Again, like... I, I was wondering about it. It's a weird postmodern posture. Like, yeah. on the one hand, I think he says the, the exhibition goes wrong. And the, you know, like the the Casper is now now populated by sheep or something, you know. And this is this uh, thing that Carl Schmidt says, you know, as a posture of post history, he says we're being put out to pasture. Yes. Right. Like we're sheep, and all they have to do, you know, the world state is yeah. kind of, uh, you know, feeding us, but we don't really make history anymore. But also, there's kind of like a literal thing there as well, because like when you, because um, you know, there's the old story which. I'm pretty sure it's true, actually, which is that, like, the the Roman Forum, like, in the Middle Ages, there was just cattle in there. Yeah. Like, that's, the, like, 
it used to be like this the the hub of civilization but i think now there's literally like sheep in there but but i but i think in there it's like a, it's it's a metaphor of decline yeah and, and i don't know what to make of it if, if it is if it's also because it's also like a an autobiographical novel yes and maybe he is uh Maybe he's protecting his family. That's what he says. You know, like that he, uh, you know, gives them this because posture of plausible deniability. Yeah. They were uh, against the regime or something, and the new regime that comes. Is the tribunes come back? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like the idea is that the tribunes, the collectivist government, yeah. sort of like comes back. And his brother know? uses it to say, "Look, we've always been resistance fighters, and my brother wasn't so bad at all because he was also preparing a resistance." Or so, something like that, right? Like he says all that, but, but like the implication is that yeah. he's locked this manuscript away and no one is ever going to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, what, what what's he saying there? Like I, I really don't know. And I mean, maybe uh, you know, maybe some younger scholars can help us on this. Yeah. You know, maybe somebody hears. You're this. the youngest scholar. That's why yeah, I had you on. I'm, I'm, I'm mainly speculating here. Yeah. Although I think it's good and entertaining speculation. So, <laughs> yeah. Which I think is all that counts. You yeah. Know, like, but I'd love to actually, you know, if people hear this and they know more than me, you know, I'd love to know what they think. I know there's this great guy, Elliot Neiman, who wrote this great Junger biography, um, uh, you know, which is really interesting. I, the, the name escapes me now, but uh, I, yeah, I wonder what he, I wonder what people are thinking, you know, like I know there's a lot of Twitter anons we're very interested in Jünger because he's the man of the century, right? And he's a he's a fucking Sigma male, you know, as he said. You know? So I don't know if anybody has an idea what that what that end is, or if it's just ambiguous postmodernity, you know, where of like unreliable narrator narrator, you know, like which I think is a part of it. Yeah, I, I really don't know. I don't know what it means, and you know, maybe I don't know. Like I recommend people. Uh, read this novel and uh, you know tell us what they think whatever right yeah yeah I, I recommend it as well like it's actually bizarrely like it's sort of like I'm at, at the moment I've been very into like really heavily plot based stuff like I've been getting into that like but this was a bit of a change of pace for a lot of stuff that I've been reading but it's in, it's even though it's sort of like there's not much of a plot it's a lot of like digressions and musings on different things like lots of philosophy but it's um extremely readable like one of the things that's great about great about Junger in general but this book in particular is um there is just banger after banger after banger like it's too much of a hassle to get the PDF up on my phone but like there are so many good lines on this in this like I'll probably share some um, like online or something but yeah, so, you know, like it's. Although sometimes, you know, I thought the sex scenes were awkward. You know, like, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a, he's a man of his age. You yeah, know, yeah. Like, uh, but I thought, you know, but I, I don't know, like, I, yeah, I, I don't want to judge him. Like, I think he's he's massively respectable. I, I don't like this. Like some people saying, ah, oh, Junger is a midwit. I don't think that at all. Like, no I way. Think, I think he's fantastically creative, and he's a he's a man. You know, he's a yeah. fucking man. Like, and he's not a. He's not a coward, and yeah, he doesn't have a, an academic education in that sense, you know, where he knows all of the, you know, what Heidegger, you know, like, he hasn't read all of, I don't think he's interested in that. Yeah. And I think he's a, he surpasses them all. Because, like, because by what, he's in, and, like, by yeah, what he's interested in is living and like vitality yeah. and yeah. like and he's and interested he in the age. age. Yeah, he's and like he a censor for the age. I agree with that. Yeah, with Heidegger. I like that. Yeah, and one of the reasons he's probably interested in living is that he fucking lived a lot. Like, not only did he live like 
over a hundred years, he packed so much life into that hundred years. It's so much work. It's so much great work too. You know, like he's been, you know, like he's he's had his affairs and yeah. you know his <laughs> prostitutes and you know, like at least according to the novel, <laughs> I don't know what to make of this, but uh, no, I mean he's a, a really interesting guy and yeah, I recommend for people to rediscover this great German author. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm I'm glad, Matt, that you made me read this book. Yeah, because I hadn't read the whole thing. You know? Oh, really? No, oh, I didn't know that. Parts of it, and yeah. I've read stuff about it, but I hadn't read the whole thing, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think in the middle it gets a bit, it gets a bit long, it gets a bit flabby. Yeah. I didn't know what to make of the of the Lebanese guy and the Chinese guy. I don't know if that's a geopolitical metaphor as well, because there's the the, the Lebanese civil war there. Yeah. You know? and I, but I didn't understand that really. I Neither do I. Really, like, I didn't yeah. know what to make of it, and uh, but I, you know. But I think the like the beginning is great, the end is great. It's a parapolitical novel. Everything is in there. It's like uh, you know, very much like this, you know, Machiavellian. You know, there's a Machiavellian uh, streak in there, yep. which I think is very younger. And but he's the anti-prince. The he's anti-prince. The count, yeah, counter proposition yeah. to the prince. He's the anarch. He's not the prince. He's the guy who observes the prince. I also found it very similar to, um, in a way. Like, not necessarily the content or the substance, but it felt the same to me as... Um, have you ever read uh, Milan Kundura's The Unbearable Lightness of Being? Oh, I read that as a teenager. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it, but I probably it, not for the right It's that reason. same sort of, like, there's a, like, loose plot, but it's mostly just philosophical, like, musings. Um, but extremely readable at the same time. So, yeah, it's the, it, it gives me that same sort of... But then it gives you the the science fiction trappings, which I love. I love that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think I have any anything more to say. I mean, do you, do you want to have a final word about it? Uh, I just think I I want to say thank you for um, finally meeting me, and we'll do this uh, in a in a podcast form, and uh, and giving like offering up all of your knowledge of Junger. Am I still saying it right? That's how you say it, right? Junger. Yeah. Junger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, um, yeah, you know, like I, I hope to, yeah, like like Jünger haunts me in a weird way. Maybe that's the last thing I say. Like the first philosophical book I probably read was him, was The Worker. And I don't know why that is. I saw that on television somewhere. It must have been when he died. And uh, I've, yeah, I don't know. Like he, it's, it's like he comes to me in a way. And, you know, like always people, you know, like it comes back to me and I have to engage with him more. Yeah. And uh, I have to write about him, you know, after I'm doing a conference on him without really knowing too much about him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Fascinating guy, man. Like, so um, do you want people to buy your book about yoga? What did you say? Do you Sorry. want people to buy your book about Junger? Yeah, of course. Of yeah. course. What's it called and where can they get it? Uh, it's called Philosophy Under Occupation uh, with uh, Justin Clements, edited. And there's an essay of me in there and uh, Giles Fielke's essay is really great. So, yeah, people, I recommend for people to check it out. I don't agree with everything that's in there. But I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, like, everything younger is great. <laughs> and um, where can listeners, like, track you down, find you if you want to, if you want to be found, oh, uh, of course? Yeah, I'm a, you know, what can I say about me? I'm an essayist. Uh, I, I have other obligations, which is why I don't write all the time. And I'm a, a pretty slow producer. I wrote the book in 2015 that's called Superstructural Berlin, which I recommend people read. It's a psychogeography about Berlin, a city I lived in for five years. Um, that's recently been translated into Slovenian. 
Yeah. Interesting. Nonetheless, yeah, like uh, avant-garde people, um, and it has been slaughtered in the uh, uh, Slovenian press. <laughs> so I guess it's by Zizek. So, so I guess no, no, not even not even by Zizek, but the national newspaper, nonetheless, you know, which I'm very proud of being slaughtered in the you know like in the Wonderful. national newspaper, and um, I, I've, I've become sort of. Uh, uh, I, I've had my uh, de-celebrity fame when I was writing for Jacobite magazine with Nick Land and others that people may know. Surprisingly, lots of people know it. It was like this reactionary journal that you know was like tech people read and Californian. It was very Californian by by Arthur Bloom, a really interesting journalist, and Robert Mariani, were the editors. And after that, I just continuously declined in fame because I took the wrong positions on everything. I was a COVID <laughs> skeptic. I was a Ukraine war skeptic. And I, I don't like what's happening in Palestine. I think that's horrible, you know, like, and so I don't know, like, you know, people don't like that, I guess, but I think it's horrible. That to me sounds very consistent. Yeah, like, it's if consistent. You're, if you're skeptical of all that stuff, that means you're I'm very I'm not consistent. skeptical. Like, I, I really hate all of this stuff yeah. and I hate what's happening and I don't... I don't want it to happen, and I. But I, and, and that's going to piss off a lot of younger fans. You yeah, know, yeah. probably militarists and yes. like bombing people in a prison camp. You know, whatever. You know, I think that's wrong. I don't want to have that. I don't stand for that. Uh, yeah, you know, please, like, you know, like let let let. I, I, I like that people are standing up against that as well, and I, 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 I really enjoy uh, the world, and uh, I think there's a lot of positive signals after COVID. Which is was the point zero of freedom of speech, right? Yes. You couldn't say anything. It was very, very costly and difficult to say things. Because here in Australia, we were, I was de facto under economic warfare, right? I couldn't go to work, couldn't go to university, couldn't make money. It was fucking terrible. It was very costly. Uh, personally, it was psychologically difficult. But I think 2023 and 24 seems to me like a new spirit. Yes, people talk, I agree. People talk yeah. more about things. Yeah. And I like that. I think that's important. I think I like that we're in the revisionist century. And I like people. I like that people are digging up everything. And I, I like think that's I, fucking I, great. You I know? Feel like, like it's not always going greatly, but some people are doing a great yeah, job. And I, I feel like I what, that. for me, like this year and last year to some extent as well, is more about like... Right, stop talking about things and start like producing things. Yes, you know, like that's, nice. and that's a very young, Jungarian spirit, I guess. Like that, you gotta, you gotta come up with something. Yeah, like, come up with something, but also yeah. yeah, talk about things in an unknown way. Yes, and uh, don't forget, don't become an asshole. You know, yes, like, yeah, know, yeah. I'm struggling with that over You're still human. Over thirty, yeah. it's a, you know, it's I always say it's an uphill battle against becoming an asshole once yeah. you're thirty. You know, like I try to be a bit. Like don't bomb people in prison camps. Yes. You know, like, yeah. Don't yeah. do that. You know. Like, if I if <laughs> just I, if try I not to say that, that. Yeah. If yeah. I can say that very controversial thing yeah, yeah. in the end, which I don't, I don't think it should be controversial, but it's, I you know, uh, like yeah. I'm uh, leaving it in. So great. Yeah. Uh, but thank you, Nick. Uh, wonderful. Um, where where can people find you? Like social media, or do you uh, want people yeah, to find you? They will find me. If they <laughs> They'll find me. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you.
Jet 